Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hey, hey, Jamie. Hey, Caitlin. Uh, do you want to <laughs> accompany me in this cave and ex- ex- explore it together? Wait, wait, wait. I just need to triple check something. Okay. Has anyone ever been in this cave? Um, probably not, but who can say? Okay, that's fine. I have a question. I have a second question. Follow up. Okay, sure. Um, is this cave just like some really long vagina metaphor? <laughs> if so, uh, I'm in. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, aren't all okay, caves? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we go. We are now descending wow. into the cave. Oh effortless incredible beautiful welcome to the Bechdel cast uh my name is Caitlin Durante my name is Jamie Loftus and we're just gonna we're just gonna you know rope on down I'm like I I'm gonna make it very immediately clear that I've never been spelunking uh (laughs) let's rope on down into the vagina metaphor uh that is one of the scariest movies that I've ever seen I think yeah Uh uh-huh yes (laughs) This And this is our show, The Bechtel Cast, where we examine film through an intersectional feminist lens. We use the Bechtel test as a jumping off point for discussion, that being a media metric invented by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel Wallace, Wallace, oh my God, uh, Wallace oh test. I really just, my mouth just went another place. <laughs> the Bechtel Wallace <laughs> test. Yes. And... That requires our rendition of the test that two people of a marginalized gender speak to each other about something other than a man for at least two lines of dialogue. Uh-huh. Shouldn't be that hard. It really shouldn't mm-hmm. be that hard. But but some people really, I mean, I don't know if, we, if, if Christopher Nolan has really gotten there yet. So, you know, it's like we're always <laughs> pushing for growth. <laughs> 
he simply has never seen two women talk to each other. Our thoughts are always with Christopher Nolan and his quest to get two female <laughs> characters to speak to each other uh, about not Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio, but, you know, someday. Uh-huh. Well, today's movie should fare a little bit better, but yes. <laughs> not to spoil anything. Spoil away. Because today we are talking about The Descent, and we have a guest with us who yes. we are very excited about. She is a filmmaker, an artist, and a consultant. It's Darby Rose. Hi. Hello. Welcome. I'm descending with you. Yes, please descend <laughs> Let's with descend. us into the vagina metaphor. Which character is it that descends really quickly? And you're like, oh, no. But then she's like, I descend all the time. <laughs> that would be Holly. Holly, yes. And then, I mean, yeah, Holly... She should maybe descend a little slower, as we learn. Anyways, this movie is so scary. Thank mm-hmm. you for coming on, Dark. <laughs> I'm so stoked. And thank you for bringing us this movie. Oh, yeah. I love this movie. I saw it years ago uh-huh. on the interwebs. Okay. And then again at Cine Family, and the director actually came Oh. and did like a Q&A. Cool. Yeah, it was really rad. Um, And, you know, he said a lot of the stuff that you can read on IMDb trivia, which is fairly fascinating. But I loved it. And watching it again, I was like, this movie's still badass. And it scared the shit out of me. (laughs) It's like, I'm still scared. It's like broad daylight. (laughs) I just got so scared by their own terrors and their own lives. And then the terrors below ground that they embark I, right? Upon that they in. descend upon. Yeah, they descend upon. <laughs> yeah. Jamie, what, what's your history with the movie? I had really no history with this movie at all. I knew that it was a horror movie with an all-female cast, and that is all I knew. And I'm really glad I went into it knowing essentially nothing because every. I, I feel like I, I got the 2005 theatrical experience uh, that I was that I would have because it's so yeah. I mean, like our discussion aside, like it, it it's so scary. It is so well paced. Like there were so many times that I mm-hmm. was surprised. And then I had to go seek out the UK ending. I watched a cut of it that had the US ending. <laughs> oh, sure. And I'm like, I. I still don't know which ending I prefer. I think I know what ending I prefer, but I don't, but I'm, but I don't know there. It was really good. It was really good and really scary. And I was, I don't know. I, yeah. I was very happy. I went in kind of not knowing anything about it. Mm-hmm. What about you, Caitlin? I saw this movie in theaters in 2005, mm. depending on what month it came out. I was either a freshman or sophomore mm. in college. And I went with my best friend, JT friend of the show twilight twilight episode um and we saw it together because we had a habit of seeing horror movies especially together in theaters and then both being so scared about whatever we watched we would then have to like just stay over at each other's apartments for like a week afterward (laughs) just to take comfort in knowing that someone else was there to protect us (laughs) Um, so that was very much the case for The Descent. I thought it was one of the most effective horror movies I had ever seen. Yeah. Um, because a lot of horror movies, it's like, they're in a haunted house. And it's like, right. okay, then leave the haunted house. Yeah. Or like, the reason that they can't leave will be so like plot devicey or ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But this one, it's like... They had to keep going forward. They, yeah, no they're like, trapped. Oops. Like, there are no... I mean, well, I don't want to say there are no story logic issues because, like, 
what about the cave dwellers? But I mean, for what it is, like the world building that it accomplishes, you're just like, oh my God, like, oh, it's just so scary. I feel like it it does enough kind of early on too that I truly wasn't like, I don't, like there were different moments where I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be a last girl situation. Like maybe more, maybe no one will get out. Maybe multiple people will get out. Like I just have Ooh, no, mm-hmm. and I certainly... I was watching this movie by myself and I was just sort of like giving my boyfriend brief summaries every few minutes of what was happening. Um, But I certainly didn't see a truck full of spears crashing into them at the beginning. That was, I was like, just what kind of truck was that? It was a truck full of spears and the spears were on top of the truck. And that <laughs> so it was like gory, but then not piping. gory for long stretches. And then you don't like. I wasn't sure. I knew so little about it that I wasn't sure if there were going to be quote unquote monsters at any point. And you get mm-hmm. like pretty mm-hmm. far into the movie without that happening. And so it was like a cool surprise when you're like, oh, there are little little vagina monsters inside the vagina. <laughs> Uh, and not in this movie do we call them STDs. They are cave dwellers, which right. now maybe I will refer to any lady problems as I've got a cave dweller <laughs> dwelling yeah. and descending. Yeah, um, <laughs> I love I love that the movie does have like it's kind of like two movies in one because it's not until according to IMDb trivia, fifty one mm. minutes into the film does the the cave dwellers do they come out Mm -hmm. like the Mm -hmm. killing doesn't start happening until then Mm -hmm. and i feel like up until then it's already like so scary but it's not it's just good it's just a good time every like moment that you get scared or jump feels so like oh yeah they deserve to do that to me i deserve that (laughs) (laughs) and it's and it's also like yeah sad and you're like getting to know these characters and I think actually by the time they start dying, I was kind of like, that's okay. I'm okay. I'm okay with this. Even though I've gotten attached to some of them, except for a bitch-ass Juno, I'm okay with this. I have no sympathy for that homewrecker. Oh, well, I oh, I have a whole thing about her. We'll get to it. Man, I feel like I'm weirdly empathetic. I mean, there are some things where you're like, Juno, like, what? But there's, Juno's a loaded character. There's so much going on there so much yeah, yeah yeah for sure my only issue too though with them doing that to juno was she was like the only woman of color and i was yes. like yes why'd you gotta do that to her mm-hmm. well to me and we'll talk about this but just to give you a little sneak peek <laughs> the movie suggests that women are so petty that they will just kill each other because like i understand the anger of learning that your best one of your best friends like was having an affair with your husband but are you going to be so angry that you kill her yeah. or leave her to die yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was definitely like her change in you know when she becomes like a little cave dweller herself like after beth dies mm-hmm. you know i was like trying to believe this change yeah but i was like but you just didn't give me that like anger building up you gave me a lot of anxiety and hallucinations Mm -hmm. but you didn't give me this like anger that burst or she just like snapped you know yeah or maybe they did but I didn't believe it I kind of was I I don't know why like one of the things I was sure of was that I felt so sure I don't know I just was like well I don't think that Sarah is going to kill I just didn't think Sarah was going to kill Juno I thought they were going to both escape and then have like 
the most terrifying discussion of Juno's entire life. Like that was kind of what I was <laughs> hoping for is that they would both live and then they would just have to like yeah. coexist with every bit of trauma in relation All of to the each trauma. Other. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like it just huh. every single conceivable imaginable trauma. I was kind of, yeah. I mean, honestly in a, in a movie that like I really, really, really enjoyed that. That was like one of the choices where our, I feel like maybe if I saw it in theaters, I would have been like, fuck yeah. You know, like that's so cathartic, but like, yeah, being that she uh-huh. is the only woman of color and it kind of like makes Sarah, I don't know. I was like, I feel like Sarah is going to, also, just logistically, I'm like, Juno is the only person that has, you know, been spelunking. Like, obviously, she fucked this day up, but <laughs> she's she has the skills to get us out in any case. Well, I watched the sequel to this <gasps> film. Okay, I wanted to because I read about it, and I'm so curious why they took that route. So, yeah. Uh, wait, what is it? So, spoiler alert, everyone, for The, the Descent Part 2. <laughs> um, it's the same cast, sort of, where basically it picks up right where the first movie leaves off, where like the authorities find Sarah, having just escaped from the cave, but she doesn't remember anything. I guess the, the trauma has made her unable to remember what just happened. So they're like, well, all of your friends are missing. We have to go back down into the cave to find them. And she's like, I guess. I don't know what yeah, happened what? down there. <laughs> so she and like some, I don't know if they're park rangers. I think there's like a, co- a few cops, but they all go into the cave because they don't believe the woman. Well, it, that and she doesn't remember, which I think mm. we, we've talked about how like women having amnesia is like often a plot device in, in mm. movies. Well, Caitlin, women be having amnesia. <laughs> well, <laughs> women's brains are so unreliable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they go back down into the cave and they basically find all of the dead bodies of her friends. They find the cave de- dwellers again. But guess what? Juno has survived. And she and Wait, she like fought everyone off with her broken leg? With her broke right, with her stabbed leg. Uh, And yeah, so she she's survived. And basically the rest of the cast dies except for Sarah and Juno. They are like kind of the two final girls at the end. And they sort of reconcile where they're like, we have to protect each other. And they both, they kind of both like martyr themselves for each other. So the second movie kind of, it ends, it ends in a way that I like better than how this first movie. That sounds like how I wanted the first movie to end was like that they would somehow be what I was hoping, yeah, I mean, I'm like, maybe this is shooting too high for a movie a man wrote in 2005. Right. But I, I was hoping that they would have some sort of, like, intense cave discussion. They're in the <laughs> vagina, and they're just like, wait a second. Like, you know, it's very, I feel like sometimes in these situations, it's like, maybe her husband was, like, an total asshole who, like, misled both of them and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And they're like, okay, well, good thing he got stabbed let's get out of here or you know whatever (laughs) whatever that they have some some sort of like they don't have to like each other but some some kind of thing that doesn't involve just murdering each other but i'm glad that that man that's so innocent horror sequels never correct things that's great 
Yeah. 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 Did you guys surprised. read the IMDb trivia? Because you keep calling it the vagina. And one of the trivia <laughs> pieces was that so all the caves were obviously not real. They built like 21 different caves. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. they called that tight, narrow one a vagina. Oh, really? So they would always no be way. like, all right, we're going in. Yeah. So I thought that's what you guys were referring to. No. It. I thought everyone oh read God. the trivia like me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's so funny. No. Yeah. Anytime you drop a female cast into a large cavernous space and this, the movie's written by a man, I'm like, well, we know what this is about. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I guess he... So he did Dog Soldiers, which I still haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And then they asked him to do this, and he was like, uh, I don't really want to get like known as a, like, a horror director. Mm-hmm. And then something changed, and he was like, all right, screw it, let's do it. But, you know, I want to do with an all-female cast. And at Cinefamily, he put it better than how it's put on IMDb. He was just like, you know, with women, they are more likely to talk about their feelings about why they're in the situation versus, like, the men I write don't talk about feelings. I was like, <laughs> okay, thank thank you. Yeah. But at Cinefamily, he was like, he's like, well, women are, have more dynamic. And I was like, yeah, okay, I like that. He's like, I think we need to see more movies with like an all cast of women. And he's like, so I asked all my female friends. I'm like, you know, what's so funny is what you should have done. You should have given the movie to a woman uh-huh. to direct and write. It's cute that you wanted to learn to be a woman, Joss Whedon, but you could just <laughs> give the project to a woman yeah and then yeah and then he did it and and then i guess they like made them all like have different accents because he had like a primarily uk film actually i get the ending of this movie often confused with the ruins Mm. or the ruins with jenna malone basically i don't even remember she like gets stuck in a pyramid or something it's like a bunch of white people go to like a brown country and they get stuck in a pyramid Mm. but then the pyramid like create some virus or disease and if you leave and then like the the natives they think are like don't leave you're cursed but uh, then eventually she gets uh, away in the ending but is infected so i always get the ending of the descent in this mixed sure, up two sure, entirely sure. different movies <laughs> extremely different but i think the early 2000s horror films where it gave you that hopeless ending mm-hmm. was like kind of a thing yeah for sure except for the american ending i like i like a hopeless ending i do too yeah i love a hopeless ending (laughs) i don't care about life let's do it i'm like you know like realistically there's rarely a last girl in life you know yeah i i kind of when i went back and watched the uk ending to this i mean we'll talk about but like Mm -hmm. i i mean obviously it's more bleak but i'm like this makes more sense this makes more sense yeah more likely that that would would have happened that way, probably. Yeah, Yeah, they were all fucked. Yeah. Well, well, should I recap the movie and then we can really dive in? We can really descend (laughs) into the discussion? (laughs) Let's do it. Okay, so we open on a group of three kind of like adrenaline junkie women. Uh, They are Sarah, Beth, and Juno, who we see like whitewater rafting. Sarah has a husband and her young daughter, and they are brutally killed in a car accident on the drive home. But I can't emphasize it enough. A truck with spears on top of it, and the spears are loose. Yeah. No. So, they were like, I think they're just like narrow pipes, which might be foreshadowing the narrow 
pipiness of it all. Maybe. Oh, it's, wow. It is, I really did appreciate I kind of like when like a horror movie cuts to the chase of like, no, this is going to be a gory yeah. one. Because the second you see that, like, mm-hmm. whatever it is, go through her husband's head right after. She's like, babe, you're distant because he's cheating on her. And then he's like, um, and then uh-huh. it's just instant karma piped through the head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. R.I.P. Um, so Sarah is obviously devastated. And then we cut to one year later. She's still dealing with the grief, but she decides to go cave diving in Appalachia with her friends, Beth and Juno, as well as some other friends, uh, Becca, Becca's sister, Sam, who is a med school student, and Holly, who is the one who's like kind of the most reckless and thrill-seeking of the group. She's the parkour one of the group. <laughs> right. <laughs> She descends quickly. Oh, that was mm. good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they head for Borum Cave, or what they think mm. is Borum Cave. Mm-hmm. They arrive at the mouth of the cave and begin their descent. <laughs> uh, right away, when they're inside, some some things happen. There's like a, a bloody handprint. Uh, a bunch of bats fly around and startle them. There was a dead deer right near the mouth of the cave. And we're like, hmm, I wonder if anything bad is going to happen. They like start poking at it like a dead body, like in yeah. Stand By Me or something. It's like, you guys want to see a dead body? And they start poking. <laughs> They're like, come on, we got to go. We have to have a descent. Okay. <laughs> so they go further into the cave. They go down this narrow tunnel, which I guess was the vagina. Yeah. Is what they called mm-hmm. it on set. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's a pool full of blood at the center of it. I mean, it's very, it's a very cis-normative <laughs> situation they're descending into. Uh, so they they don't know where they're going. It's very dark and scary. And then Sarah gets stuck in one of these very narrow tunnels. She starts panicking. The tunnel starts to collapse. Oh, that shit was scary. Oh, so I actually scary. had to walk out of the room at one point. I was like, I can't even walk. This, that was the scariest part for me. Same, the claustrophobia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely have claustrophobia, yeah. and that was my worst nightmare. Oh. I was like, I'd rather deal with the cave dwellers than get... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. Well, yeah, like... Wh- once you get to the cave dwellers, you're like, okay, this is like, this is imagination. But that like moment of horror at the beginning, because at the beginning of this movie, I was like, oh, I've kind of always wanted to do that. And then immediately you're like, no, I, I've had a change of heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Beth helps her get out, but one of the bags of ropes gets lost in the rubble. And then that way out is now blocked. So Why they... did they send it with the last person though? Right. Questions. Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a good question. Why do we ever find out? This is maybe a plot hole, but why doesn't Juno take the book? Like, is it just because she's like, we're so bad? But it's like, if she knew. The book that she has is for Borum Cave, but they don't go into Borum Cave. So that's why she doesn't bring the book. She's like, why bother? That makes more sense. That's right. She's like, we don't need this shit because we ain't even going there. We're not even there. But I'm going to rush everyone because we got to get to the vagina now. (laughs) (laughs) There is, there's also a, there's a, a, a female orgasm joke in there. It's how, how do you give a lemon yeah. an orgasm? You touch its citrus. Oh, yeah. What did she say? You touch its citrus, which is supposed to sound like clitoris. Uh, it's not an, it's uh, not a good punchline. I'm like, maybe that works better with a Scottish accent. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so that one way out is blocked. And they're like, no big deal. There are two other ways out of Borum Cave, right? And that's when we learn Juno didn't bring them to Borum Cave. She brought them to a different uncharted cave that no one has ever been inside Mm. of before. Or so they think. Shady. But this means that they have no idea how to navigate it and no one knows they're down there. So if they do like turn up missing, like the rescue team will search the wrong place. Mm. Um, so then Sarah thinks she sees something or someone Ooh. lurking in the distance. Maybe it's a, a, a yeast infection that's affecting this <laughs> I vagina. Know. I, was, I was just like, whoa, with a UTI lurking in the yeah. distance. Like, da da da. Yeah, <laughs> as UTIs do, uh-huh. they make that sound too. Yeah, yours don't. <laughs> Very echoey those UTIs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so they move onward to find a path out of the cave, and they come upon this deep ravine that they have to get across. And as they're doing that, they notice a, a hook that's already embedded in the the roof of the cave. And they realize someone's been down there before, but it's equipment that's like several decades old. So they're like, well, if people have been down here before, why is this cave still uncharted? And they're like, they haven't touched this equipment in a hundred years. Yeah. That's my also horrible accent, but bear yeah. with it. Incredible. <laughs> but then they come upon some cave paintings that show that there's another entrance to the cave. But then Holly, who loves scrambling ahead of everyone falls into a hole and breaks her leg and while the rest of the group is dealing with her injury sarah hears something she breaks away from the group and sees what appears to be a man or a kind of humanoid figure Mm -hmm. she tells everyone she tells juno and juno gaslights the shit out of her yes she does not believe her homewrecker <laughs> of all people to be gaslighting Sarah at this time. Mm-mm. Yeah. That's what I says. Are you shady? <laughs> so no one believes her, but then they do because they all get attacked by what turns out to be cave dwelling, cannibalistic humanoid creatures. Wikipedia calls them crawlers. Hmm. It kind of looks like, I mean, I feel like it looks like a variation on so many horror movie characters that at least I'll give them credit for not making the entire head a vagina mouth, which is usually what happens. <laughs> but it is still just like a a, a fleshy mystery. <laughs> I like that they actually built it to kind of make sense. I've, I'm saying this because I, I also just watched A Quiet Place for the first time. And you're just like, oh, oh vagina mouth. Got it. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. but this one, I mean, it, I like that they at least like took the time to be like, oh, it makes sense that this creature would evolve the way it did. Like it is kind of like a water bat thing. Like it's, it makes sense enough. Yeah, it's really scary to look at. I like the mother and and child pair. Yeah, that come for Sarah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm whole... jumping ahead. No, the no, recap, no, no. But... but I mean, there's I a whole. I love that they ver- they made variety in this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's very baffling to me that like the female cave dweller has long hair. <laughs> she has long curly but, hair. But the, I... but the male ones are bald, and it's like that's not 
how yeah. that works. She also <laughs> had some cool like body tats going on. Like I saw some like chest oh. tattoos happening. It was like a chest really? piece. That, oh, I didn't yeah. notice that. Or that, or it was a clothing piece, or her skin was very mutilated. I thought she has. She seems to have like breasts. Yeah, she's got like she did, cave yeah. dweller titties yeah it, it was kind of i mean i thought that was interesting because i felt like in that it's like a conversation that i feel like we usually have during animated movies where it's like a i don't know like kind of needless gender coding where you're like why are you giving this like creature a hairstyle like what are you doing <laughs> for what because i'm just thinking about her like what <laughs> what were the decisions like someone looked at her they put their hand on their you know, their chin step back and they're like mm, yeah that looks i think this is it you guys i think we've got it we've got the female cave dweller just the one and her little baby that she protects yeah well women be raising children without the assistance of the monster father yeah. <laughs> i'm also just like uh, i guess the filmmakers were like well most women above ground have long hair and most <laughs> men have short hair so that's how these cave dwellers right. will also look they evolved like according to western fashion which is how evolution <laughs> works but yeah. they did say that they were from like a hundred years ago, which was a more traditional time. That's true. Maybe I don't know. I don't really want to. Oh, defend it. see, I aren't they supposed to be from like? N- no, I think the it's early 1900s? that there were other like spelunkers who had tried to explore the cave, but they also got murdered by these cave dwellers who had been there for I'm guessing millennia. Right. Yeah, I guess that's not how humans evolved in 100 <laughs> right. years yeah, on this game. Right. <laughs> well, would you think it was like, I don't know, this was, I, don't, I honestly wasn't thinking about it that hard, but would it have been like people who got stuck there in like cave dwelling times and that's why there's cave paintings and then it's like mm. those people evolved into the cave dwellers? My, uh, I don't yeah, know. that's I think where some of the, the story logic does get a bit yeah. <laughs> muddied because... You know, in the in the in human migration, the humans because they're in Appalachia, right? Humans didn't arrive to the Americas until about I, you know, there's there's debate on exactly when it was, but that was somewhere around I think twenty thousand years ago is a number that we now think it was. Mm-hmm. So it might just be that very you know early humans had gone into these caves Mm. decided to stay there Mm -hmm. evolved or maybe they got stuck there and they found a way to survive and then like Uh, yeah generations of i don't know like they they evolved to the space of like it makes total sense that they're blind like all that i don't know yeah and i mean there's i have a whole spiel on like how disability is treated in (laughs) horror movies that we'll get into But yeah, I don't know exactly how these cave dwellers came to be there. Yeah, I guess we're not meant to think too hard about it. Yeah, we just have to suspend our disbelief. But I just still want to know why they chose for the female to have long curly hair Mm -hmm. and like chest and arm tattoos. (laughs) And she did not pass the Bechdel test for sure. She Mm -mm. didn't have a name. She protected a man. We never got time with her. I think she was the one underserved female of the film. Justice for... (laughs) One of the only things we knew about her was that she was a mother. Yes, yes. A loving 
heartfelt mother who would die for her own. And I think we should take a moment of silence for this lost cave dweller. I know. Because she gets stabbed in the eyeball. Oh, I know. So Sarah has spotted one of the, the cave dwellers. No one believes her. Then they get attacked. Holly gets killed by one of the cave people. Juno manages to kill one of them. But then she also accidentally stabs Beth and leaves her there to die. Oops. Yeah. Oopsies. I'll, I have a whole thing about that as well. Ooh, we'll yikes. get there. Then Juno, Becca, and Sam, they're trying to find their way out. Sarah has gotten separated from the group and she finds Beth, who is not all the way dead yet. And Beth is like, don't trust Juno. She did this to me. Also, she was having an affair with your husband. And she's like, well, shit. In my opinion, Beth is really blowing her last moments on Earth, like getting into <laughs> other people's business. It's like, do you have like a family that you would like a message passed on to? Or are you yeah. just going to like <laughs> gossip into an early grave? Like what's going on, Beth? <laughs> but- she's like, well, I have no choice but to just tell you this because Imagine- fuck everything and bleeds to death (laughs) imagine with your dying breath to be like by the way (laughs) um did you know (laughs) so bizarre right like this is like literally a matter of life and death like that's the thing like this movie is like women are so petty that in their dying breaths yeah they're going to gossip and they're going to murder each other wow that's real (sighs) which is interesting because they're all like, you know, thrill seekers yeah. and they all like knew what they were. They knew there'd be like some danger doing this, mm-hmm. um, whether it was charted or uncharted. Right. But the fact that like all of a sudden they all freak out and have no idea what to do. Like they all just freak out. I'm like, wait, don't y'all like to do this? You know, like parkour over here is just like jumping around and like splits her bone out of her leg. And I'm like, <laughs> what the what are you doing? I feel like you should know you should be a little more conscious. And then, oh, I love, okay, I don't even think you've gotten there. I'll let you continue. Um, okay, so then Sarah manages to kill a few of the cave dwellers. Then Becca and Sam get killed. And so now it's only Sarah and Juno. Wait, but Sam's death was, I feel bad because I laugh every time. Wait, which she, one like, was her? She's like, fuck it, I'm going to. I'm going across and she like starts hooking up. And, oh, is, right. Yeah. And then yeah. she puts the knife in her mouth when the cave dweller comes at her. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, she's going to use the knife to like stab it. But then it slits her throat and then she just, uh, oh, right. just the way bleeds she... out. Ugh. I was like, wait, what was the point of any of that? That's the other <laughs> fun example of instant karma in this movie that I really thought was fun was like, <laughs> She's about to ditch all of her friends and then immediately it just it just blows up in her face in the worst possible way. And she wastes yeah. the rope. I'm like, selfish. Yeah. Right. She done goofed. I think I might have misinterpreted that. I thought she was like trying to kind of martyr herself to like get, but I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. No, she was bailing. She was leaving. Yeah. Oh. Wow. She just Sam. like freaked out and was like, I'm over this. I've been over this. <laughs> She's, she, I think I'm her done. vibe was like, I don't really know most of the people on this trip very well. <laughs> like, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that was like parkour also. Sorry, I can't help but call her parkour. <laughs> but I felt like she was also like, fuck this. Do, 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 and just like skirted out. And we're like, where are you, bro, where are you going? Yeah. Oh, she, she thinks she sees daylight? Yeah. That's yeah, her, yeah, yeah. 
Right. They're like it's phosphorus in the rocks yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Fun okay. fact. Good. Now I know that. Yeah. If I ever go now you know. Spelunking. Which we're gonna do after yeah. this. Um. Okay. So uh, Becca and Sam get killed, and now it's only Sarah and Juno. They join up, and Sarah is like, "Hey, Juno, I heard you were having an affair with my husband." Stab. Yeah. <laughs> kind of stabs her in the leg and leaves her to be Ugh. eaten by the cave people. Yeah, which was, I thought, a more colder move than to just kill her. She's like, bitch, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to just but let I'm you fight gonna... in fear for your life. <laughs> also, like, why would she leave her behind? I mean, I, I understand why she was like, draw the attention to you so I can bounce. But it really felt very like Sarah's character was so hard to keep up with because I was like, what's your... What is your intention? Right. Going into this trip. You're, what, why? Why? I have to be honest, too. There, there's like three blonde women in the cave. Oh, yeah. And it's so yeah. dark that sometimes I'm like, I don't know which blonde woman it is. I appreciate that yeah. they keep saying everybody's name very frequently because I'm just like, I don't know if this is a protagonist blonde woman or yeah. an ancillary <laughs> blonde woman. <laughs> Well, like you mentioned, Darby, the director was like, yes, I gave the women different accents so we could tell them apart. And it's like, that didn't work at all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, have some more women of color in the group. That will help. Yeah, exactly. 2005 (laughs) black people weren't around yet at that point. (sighs) Right. Yeah. What happened here? I was like, really couldn't get like one black British person. Should I get get Naomi? What's her face from 20 days later? And oh, yeah. Moonlight. She's great in 20 Days Later. Oh, yeah. I gotta That's rewatch that. That's a good rewatch. I just rewatched. Ooh. Very quarantine friendly. Oh, yes. Love a corn. I mean, there's so few. Naomi Harris, right? <laughs> Naomi Harris. Yes. Yeah. Sweet angel. Who She stopped aging, I think, after 20 Days Later. <laughs> she looks exactly the same. <laughs> yes. Oh, she's in the new James Bond, too. Fun. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Fun. Um, okay, so then there, the, then the ending in there, uh, Jamie, like you mentioned, there are two different, two versions of the ending. Mm-hmm. There's the U.S. cut in which Sarah makes her escape. She finds the other exit, crawls on top of like a pile of bones to get up out of the cave. I also feel like when she like emerges through like the tiny little hole, that's going to be like how we all come out of quarantine. Yeah. We're just like, <laughs> we're like popping out of the ground, seeing daylight for the first time in a while. We're all covered in blood yeah. and get, muck. You get yeah. like a mile away from our homes, then burst into tears. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. For real. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, so she, she gets out, she makes her way to the car, drives away a little bit, pulls over, vomits, and then she has <laughs> a hallucination of, of Juno being in the car with her. And then we smash cut to black. Mm-hmm. Now that I think same thing happens in the UK version, but then mm-hmm. there's a little bit more. We smash cut back to the cave. Back to life. <laughs> back to reality. <laughs> right. Where she had just hallucinated her escape. She wakes up. She sees like another hallucination of her daughter and a birthday cake. And then all the, the cave dwellers descend upon, they t- descent upon yeah. her. Uh, and then she presumably dies. I read that the U.S. ending is the U.S. ending because they did a screening in the U.S. of mm-hmm. the U.K. And they were like, oh, hell no. The, I remember reading, quote, it was uber, uberly uber hopeless. hopeless. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because um, American moviegoers really 
they like a happy ending yeah we're very fragile yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I, I think I, I like the uk ending better same i watched the i watched the whole movie through with the american ending then found out about the uk ending i like it better my i like my ending the best and my <laughs> ending is sarah and juno both live sarah doesn't try to kill her friend mm-hmm. she's still mad at her but she's like come on We'll deal with this on the surface. Let's get out of here. They apologize to the cave people for (laughs) trespassing on their land. They're Mm -hmm. like, so sorry. We shouldn't have, we should have never come. Our bad. Mm -hmm. Get them like a year's supply of animals. Right. They open a small business. I want them to open a small business. Yes. Yes, they do. They start like a diner in the middle of the woods. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, well, let's take a quick break and then we will come right back. And we're back. I, I want to give this movie props up top for, I mean, in terms of the metric we use, the Bechdel test, this movie really uh, couldn't fare better. Mm. It's mostly women talking to women about surviving the whole cave situation. Um, <laughs> I think the one, but but the one like the one male presence looming over this movie mm. is uh, her husband. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I think I mean I. I don't know. I mean, it's it's not certainly not the most egregious example of this. And so I wasn't like extremely put off. But Caitlin, I feel like you already kind of alluded to this was that whole element of like the jealousy and the suspicion and that kind of translating to basically leaving Juno for dead at the peak of the movie when we don't really know enough about the husband. And I feel like the movie just assumes that the husband was an awesome guy, which is like, well, we don't know that we see him for two seconds Mm -hmm. and he's being distant. And Mm -hmm. he was cheating. And he was cheating on her. So it's like, (laughs) I feel like it, it was like a slight writer telling on themselves situation where it's like, well, he was her husband. So I'm sure that he was, it was just, you know, he was tricked. He was, you know, because Mm. women, uh, you know, women be tricking men and whatever, one of the oldest tropes (laughs) in the book. But I did think it's interesting that, I mean, I don't really necessarily want them to burn any time in this movie, like talking about this husband. I don't really care, but it does seem to kind of assume that like he was a great guy and therefore all of the blame for this infidelity is on Juno. Mm. Right. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. He is kind of looming. He is kind of looming over the movie because we think of it. I mean, I really love how they told the moments. Like, I felt like it was so to the point. Like, we did not fuck around. We didn't get little lovey-dovey moments. But that moment where he walks over to Juno when they get out the raft, I was like, oh, you are so shady. Uh Oh, no. And then Beth catches on, and I'm like... Mm-mm. Beth is kind of shady too for not saying anything. I feel like right. a good friend should say something personally. Yeah. You know, like if someone, if my one of my best friends in this trio knew you were cheating, or my husband was cheating on me with other friends, yeah, bitch, you better tell me. Right, you know, you gotta tell each other things, and you have to believe each other, mm-hmm. and not not. It's an honor system. Yeah, so I'm honor not like system. Juno is clearly like I mean takes two to tango in this situation, and the friend betrayal like that's the worst. That's a horrible thing to do. Yeah. But I do. But yeah. I, but I, I I don't think that 
this movie really recognizes the two to tango situation unless Sarah mm. is so like galaxy braining her own grief which we know she isn't uh, <laughs> that she's right. like well I can't hold my husband accountable at this point so I'm shifting the blame I don't I don't know what's really going on <laughs> yeah there. right <sighs> and uh, again like I understand Sarah's anger and feelings of oh, betrayal sure. when she finds out that Juno was having this affair sure but to the extent that you're going to let her die and be eaten alive mm-hmm. by these like cannibalistic cave dwellers well Darby you were saying and like I, I do kind of I'm kind of assuming that this is what Neil Marshall is going for is that like this experience has like hardened Sarah so much that it's like you know, you have wronged me and like, this is a game of survival and like, I don't need you to survive anymore and you've wronged me. So, you know, fuck you. I'm leaving to steal Mm -hmm. your car, I guess. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm kind of, I was kind of glad that like that was, I mean, it, it is definitely a thing. And it also, I feel like is compounded by the fact that, Natalie Mendoza is the only woman of color in this entire movie and she is like mm-hmm. the villain of the story and she mm-hmm. is like this temptress and she is you know I mean mm-hmm. it, it it's a lot of negative stereotypes like all foisted upon this one character she's also the only American character but American people are horrible mm-hmm. and they'll probably yeah. steal your <laughs> husband uh, <laughs> but I mean, just also the fact that she was the one to like trick them exactly, and be like, yeah. we're not going to the cave where we're like safe. And it's actually been charted. We're discovering this new cave. And her, the, what she tells Sarah is that, you know, I, I was doing this for you. We were going to name the cave after you. Like this whole thing is so that you can like help get over <laughs> your grief or I don't even know what yeah. her logic was. I will say that line made me laugh a lot because I'm like, imagine naming a cave Sarah. Like, what? <laughs> Welcome to s- the Sarah cave. Sarah cave. You're just like, this name sucks. Let's let's pick another. Yeah, no. But yeah, yeah. I I I, I was looking into. And we sort of talked about it already, but like the casting process for this movie, because I was curious of like, well, was this a mm. movie that was written for women specifically and. It wasn't originally, which which I think is kind mm-hmm. of interesting and like harkens back to stuff we've talked about before where it was supposed to be a cast of men and women. But then Neil Marshall's business partner said, hey, yeah. horror movies never have all women. So marketing. Yeah. And Neil Marshall was like, OK. And then and then it says and again, this is we're about to like give him like a trophy for the bare minimum. (laughs) But it does, it was said in a lot of press at the time that after deciding, okay, I'm going to cast, you know, all women in in this movie, he talked to women he knew. Oh my God, I know. Like like the thing that male screenwriters never ever do. (laughs) He's like, I asked for their advice and I asked, you know, what are things that they say and talk about? I'm like, what, we're like a creature you've never dealt with (laughs) again also give the damn movie to a woman to direct and to write and to oversee like how many men were behind that camera making that movie that's i want to know yeah i'm seeing for the for the sequel the editor the male editor of the first movie directed the sequel which is like come on what come on jeez but but i do i mean it's like i mean as far as 
I mean, Caitlin, you've talked about this before in terms of like your classes of like, if you are a male writer that wants to write about women, the least you can do is do your homework, like and talk to yeah. women. And I don't know, I, I, the, mm-hmm. the interactions with women, especially like the hanging out at the beginning and stuff like that, like it felt pretty authentic. I don't know. I, I was like, yeah, light impressed. I was like, all right, Neil Marshall talked to a woman about this. Just imagine. Yeah. I like that they were all hung over too. It was <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I like that they all got like wasted and smoked weed low key and then yeah. all that. And I was like, there were moments where I was like, these are women, but I, I really didn't think deeper on, yeah, it's like they're, we're going to make them petty. Like Sarah's character was just so much more of a tool than an actual person. Like she was mm-hmm. just there to like help set shit up and make things happen. Cause I'm like, you know what? If you are the type of person to just go and kill your friend that your husband cheated on you with, you know what, bitch? Maybe you deserve to be cheated on. (laughs) I said it. I just don't, like, I mean, I like that you have a a depiction of, like, these complicated female friendships where, like, one of them is doing something wrong and, like, going behind her friend's back and having this affair. Like, people are complex. People make horrible mistakes. People do really bad things. But, like... Again, the movie, like the suggestion that she's like, well, I know we were best friends up until five minutes ago, but now I'm going to kill you. Um, I just, the thing for me, like the first half or maybe even the first like 60 minutes of this movie, I think are like really good for looking at it through our lens of like women are shown being very capable we see them having physical strength we see them being athletic mm-hmm. like all this stuff they're doing i like that um it seems like there was care taken that like each woman in the in the group has some like specialty that is not like mary sue that is like established in their character that is able to move the action forward where there's like someone who's a medical student and so she's able to do first aid when someone's like gets busted uh-huh. and like everyone has some knowledge that is able to assist in moving forward which is like good right and and you know women don't always get that for mm-hmm. sure and like we see them like have to fight off the Mm -hmm. cave dwellers in a way that is not sexualized like one of the Mm -hmm. like one of the major tropes of horror movies and especially like slasher movies is women being sexualized and then also being shamed Mm -hmm. for being sexual Mm -hmm. so you don't get any of that they have like outdoorsy skills we see sarah like she figures out that there's like i think what's kerosene and an old lantern. Yeah. She uses that to light a torch, which she has to do like a flint kind of like. That old... was cool. I was like, oh, that's where I would have died, I guess. Like, <laughs> Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we see that. We see Becca is the one who crosses like the ceiling of the ravine and like all that upper body strength Dude, that she needs to that was do hardcore. that. And you can tell how much she's struggling, but it's still like you believe that she would be capable of that. Yeah. Then it's Beth who, like, notices the cave painting and, like, interprets it because everyone else Mm -hmm. is just like, this is nothing. And then she's like, no, wait, like, let's read this. Let's, like, look at these clues. The first, yeah, the first chunk of the movie, it's all this really cool stuff that you see these women do. And I was like, oh, I, I, and I didn't exactly remember 
how things ended. So I was like really getting all geared up to be like, this is like a feminist masterpiece. Like definitely there's not enough diversity. It's five of the six women are white. It's mm-hmm. very heteronormative <laughs> in spite of seeming to like suggest I thought something was being suggested between Holly and Juno, but then it's kind of dropped. I don't know. If, yeah, I yeah. did too. I that was being there was a at. moment. Yeah. And I was right. hoping that they would just make it explicit of like, oh, these are two either gay or bisexual characters. Awesome. Mm-hmm. But but then they kind mm-hmm. of just drop it and they're like, no, 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 no. And then Holly like even is like, no, 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 no. I want to have a lot of hetero babies. And you're just like, okay, Holly. <laughs> <What>? Like... <laughs> She wants to parkour her way to babies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I think there's like some really cool subversions of the horror genre that we're seeing in this movie. But then a man gets fridged. A man. Yes. A man. Yeah. He and the only man we see, Uh or at least the only like human man. Right. gets killed almost instantly. So it's it's a lot of like cool subversions. But then like by act three, the script this writer was like, Oh wait, I forgot that women are really petty. I have to (laughs) write this into the movie. They're also in a huge vagina. There I'm sorry, I just like can't (laughs) say it enough. I like I just feel so just I don't know. Like I think this is a very inventive, subversive horror movie, but like Men making horror movies, they literally cannot help themselves. Like, they can't help themselves. There's a Mm-mm. huge vaginal metaphor in every single one. Down to the, I mean, the pool full of blood at the heart of the, I mean, it's just like, it's like. <laughs> That's the uterus. Neil, we get yeah. it, honey. Like, just call your mom. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I also feel like usually when we see women who are hallucinating in films or like, you know, are seeing things that we, the audience, are also seeing with her. Yeah. That usually it's men that are like, you're just crazy. You're making it up. Or it's like some older woman mother character who's like, honey, you're just seeing things. But I think seeing everyone doing that with her was also kind of breaking that stereotype of like, sometimes people just don't believe people. Like, I think that I kind of like that we were seeing everyone. Well, Juno gaslighting her, but even Beth is like, you're just seeing things. It's okay. But I was like, it's weird. why don't they believe? They should believe her. I feel like they should also be more sympathetic because uh, she just lost her child and her husband, which in the griefing process, a year is like a second. Like, Mm -hmm. that's really not a lot of time from like what your life was going to be the rest of and then turns into nothing, Mm -hmm. which I was also like, they don't spend a lot of time on the grief. It's like, yeah, yeah, that thing that happened. Right. You get like flashbacks of her having kind of like yeah. dreams or visions of like the the accident and stuff. But we really don't know. We don't learn anything about her daughter or her husband before they die. So yeah. it's like, okay. I thought that that, I don't know, like that was kind of, in, in terms of how she is gaslighted by her friends i also thought it was like they were dismissive of her because of her grief and also because they're like well you're just you're just being like on edge because a cave just collapsed on your head two seconds ago and i'm like (laughs) well that's a great reason to be on edge but yeah like right you know there that was one that was another subversion there's some i mean we haven't gotten to the the parts of this movie that i I don't love so much but that was a subversion Mm -hmm. that i thought was fairly effective of I don't know I was thinking at the beginning of this movie where something deeply traumatic robs a woman of her family instantly I went 
to Midsummer, mm. uh, movie that I think couldn't handle that plot point any worse oh if it wanted to. <laughs> like I just yeah. that fucking movie. The opening sequence of Midsummer, I just is like some of the most irresponsible like treatment of mental illness I've ever seen in movies. Period. But yeah. mm-hmm. I think this movie toes the dealing with grief as plot. I think better than a lot of horror movies tend to. And it's like, I'm not a huge horror aficionado there. I'm sure there's other movies that deal with it well, but I feel like there is maybe a tendency and correct me if I'm wrong, but a tendency to treat grief as like a hindrance Mm. where like, I think that, you know, what Sarah's going through actually ends up kind of serving her in this situation. It motivates her need to survive, even though, you know, she's dealing with it. It doesn't prevent her from handling the situation at hand, even though her friends seem to think it is. We find out Mm -hmm. almost immediately, like, no, she is not, you know, like she's not being unreasonable. What she's seeing is there. She's telling the truth. And it works against the friends to disbelieve her because they think that she is just like in a bad place. So I thought that that plot point was was kind of cool of like she's going through this very heavy, horrible thing, but it's not you know, it, it doesn't make it impossible for her to survive. It actually kind of helps her survive. Yeah. Everyone else is kind of like, I don't know. We don't really know anyone else's backstory except part of Juno's only because of the husband. Right. Mm-hmm. And other than that, like even Sarah's like trying to find out like what everyone else like has kind of back home. They like have very small talk. Like, so what man do you have back home? Which I was like, why are you just assuming everyone has a man back home? Mm-hmm. What if they have a couple partners? What if they have a same-sex partner? What if, what if, and also why is everyone identifying as cis here? Like there was like obviously no diversity, but I'm sure yeah. Neil Marshall's like, diver who? What? I don't know what that <laughs> it's is. It's 2005. Well, I don't know anything. Yeah, right? I don't know anything. Ask me in 15 years and I'll say I've been doing it all wrong. Uh, like <laughs> everyone else. But yeah, I agree. I think that it, it definitely is, it's cool. Like if I were to put aside like, my deeper thoughts that we've like discussed about, you know, how it's kind of weird that she kind of flipped at, you know, at one point it's like, wait, so now you're, now you're a total badass who's like, you know, covered in blood and you're kind of a cave woman who has no words anymore. Mm. I'm like, I don't know. I guess if I was grieving and this was just where I was, it's like, all right, no time to fucking play anymore. Let's fucking do this. Do you know, <laughs> get out of my way. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't make a whole lot of sense of it. I guess, my main thing with that whole scenario is I wish that when Sarah did reveal that she's like, I saw someone I thought I saw before and now I definitely saw it and I'm not making this up. I'm not imagining it. And they're all like, nope, the dark plays tricks on you. This yeah. nothing. You didn't see anything. And I just I really wish like even if they were incredulous, they should have still been like, well, what did you, what did you see? Or what mm-hmm. do you think you saw? Or what did it look like? And like, I just, I wish that we had seen just them making more of an effort to believe her. I mean, that is, that's almost like a story bump too. Cause it's like, at this point, aren't they all aware that they are in completely uncharted territory? Like it's, yeah. right. it's kind of like <laughs> counterproductive to assume that anything you would see is not there. If it's like, well, what do you know? No one's ever been here. You know, right. like, but they also like no one knows how to deal with anxiety. And I hate to bring that piece of shit movie back up again. But Midsommar was just like that. <laughs> like they, you know, her boyfriend had no idea how to deal with her anxiety disorder. 
or she bipolar in the film but like in this it's like no one knows how to deal with it which i think spoke to something it's like as someone with anxiety like often people will just assume that i'm being dramatic or i'm being sensitive or i'm just seeing things so i felt like when they were like no no it's fine i'm like that's really real i mean the conversation has changed a lot now just in time regardless if that film really happened it could happen in real life like Mm -hmm. I think you know as a kid or even up until a few years ago people still will like you know just assume I'm yeah being dramatic or overreacting but now there's so much more compassion I think in the world or in at least in our world and and so I think that now if that movie is written I think there would be more like well wait tell us what's going on but I think it kind of it seemed very real that they were all just like, no, no, you're just seeing things, you know, regardless that, yeah, like you said, like they were in uncharted territory. So it's like, I mean, anything goes out here, like fucking cave dwellers, Sasquatch, anything, you name it, Yeah. (laughs) which they do make a joke about earlier. They're like, it's probably Sasquatch. (laughs) And I'm like, girl, don't play because cut. So like 60 minutes into this film, you're going to be like, you're not going to be laughing about that. Uh huh. I just, yeah. I mean like they, at this point, I think it's before this that they find the cave painting and they had found the old equipment. So it's like, well, things aren't what they see. Right. You thought no one's been down here before and you were proven wrong. So why don't you listen to your friend? Yeah. Why don't you open yourself up to this possibility? Right. Open yourself up like you've opened up this vagina of a cave yeah. and just <laughs> embark within <laughs> When I was watching this, I actually have like a game I play internally in movies with myself. This sounds really dirty. Like I try to guess like the character's Zodiac sign. And so I felt like with Juno, I was like, oh, she is a stubborn, relentless Taurus with a Gemini moon. Ooh. (laughs) Because... Tauruses are historically stubborn as someone who dates a Taurus. Uh, I'm a Taurus. Um, you're a Taurus? I am a Taurus. Really? <laughs> yeah. I gotta know more about your birth chart because you don't, are you a stubborn person? I'm you're pretty like stubborn. Li- really? Yeah. Hmm. D- uh, for some things. Yeah. I, I, I can be pretty, I can be chill and I contain multitudes. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what your moon is. Yeah, what's your moon? I don't know what that means. Oh, we're going to have to look it up. (laughs) I'm going to find your birth chart. We'll do this after. Okay. Um, But then with Sarah, I I was trying to figure out what everyone's signs were. And then also, as I feel like it's the equivalent to like, you know, when people want to know my race, for example, it gets like them trying to like box me into like what they know about them. Uh, So I try, I'm very like um, discriminating with Zodiac signs. uh So I'm like, that bitch is for sure a Scorpio. (laughs) She's got the loving edge, you know, the loving edge, but same time she will cut you very fast um but some of them were you know a couple of them were definitely Sagittarius's so I just was like don't let them lead you know they want to be adventurous but they're also going to be really indecisive and just be on their own I think uh Sam was definitely a Sag they they want to be out there but she was just a scared little shit at the end of the day and Uh. was like indecisive and was keeping her feelings or was like letting her feelings overrun everything else without seeing like logic. Anyways, that game can go very deep in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm like, what movie am I watching right now? I could listen to this for every movie that's ever come out. (laughs) (laughs) If we need a spinoff Bechdel cast, um, Zodiac, or I don't even know. Just the full, like, movie character, what's your placement? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back for more discussion. (laughs) 
we're back. So another thing kind of along the similar lines of what we were talking about in terms of kind of like women being pigeonholed as being petty, that ties into a horror movie convention of the horror movie kind of justifying why people die or get killed, right? So like in a lot of slasher movies, it's like if you're a teenager who's sexually active, Mm -hmm. you die. Mm -hmm. The classics. Mm -hmm. The classics. Uh, I feel like a lot of time men having too much hubris or just... Men who won't bring a map. People who won't bring a map in general, they get they get killed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, excessive pride, recklessness, that will get a man killed. Um, I feel like oftentimes a woman being kind of oblivious or maybe even like too nurturing or too trusting or just a failure to exercise logic overall mm-hmm. will be what gets a woman killed. Mm. And this rang true especially for Beth. Beth's Mm. death scene where Juno has just fought off two, I think it's like two different cave dwellers. She kills one of them by stabbing it several times. Which is really cool. (laughs) Right. And then someone sneaks up on her and it's Beth, but Juno doesn't realize this until it's too late. And she turns around and stabs Beth in the throat. To be fair, isn't Beth like an art student or something? I mean... Um, she's she's the one who knows what the cave paintings mean so i was assuming i'm like oh so she's kind of like she's an artsy type she's not a survivalist uh but she's like she was whitewater rafting she she's spelunking like all these women are like seem to be very competent at these like extreme sports that Mm -hmm. they're doing so for me like beth what like wouldn't she have just witnessed juno killing these like cave dwellers and like wouldn't she approach with caution and like exercise some logic and not just sneak up mm-hmm. on someone who would be very easily startled i i agree but i just didn't interpret that as gendered i i mean i don't think it was like a very informed or thoughtful decision but <laughs> it didn't i don't know i didn't read i read that as like thoughtless but not gendered mm. especially because all i think it would be one thing if if many of the other characters were men and they died in a way that wasn't so like they're oblivious Mm -hmm. i would have read that as more gendered but it's still but i think it is a gendered trope in other horror movies with mixed casts so i was disappointed to see it pop up in this movie i mean i guess i guess that to me like that kind of i mean that certainly serves to further villainize juno even though like when i saw that i'm like oh well that's like really unfortunate and of course she's Mm -hmm. going to lie about it because you don't want people to get mad at you and they're already mad at you (laughs) yeah for bringing them into an unmarked cave uh but like and so i i don't know i feel like that's that ultimately that decision like further villainized juno where i don't know maybe i just didn't care about beth but and and then she and then (laughs) and then when she was dying she was just got you know gossiping to the grave so yeah she was hanging in there though because a while passed when <laughs> she came up and yeah. she was like bah. i was like oh <laughs> you're still around right. Right. like how did you oh, wow you you've still been alive? literally drowning in your own blood for the last like 20, 20 minutes. minutes yeah so this is impressive and that you can still speak enough mm. to gossip with your friend yeah <laughs> and part of me has to admire it 
but that was a very bizarre choice yeah i do agree though caitlin you made a good point about how it's like yeah there was a lot of um and Darby words, there was a lot of cool shit that happened with the characters up until the cave dwellers came out. Yeah. And then the writer was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Women are let's do all these things. And who knows? Because I'm sure what, you know, as the writer listens to this episode, he's our biggest They're going to feel very defensive. And no, I didn't think that. But it's like but there's something to be said in that, you know, the same conversations happening about white supremacy and the covert and overt behaviors that we all harbor. I as a black person harbor and that. You know, it's like we harbor a lot of sexism. And I mm-hmm. think the writer may be thinking like, well, this is, you know, women can keep it cool until shit goes down. And then sure. they're going to turn on each other. They're going to gossip to the bloody grave. <laughs> they're going to stab each other in the leg with a pick. But I think that like if the I hope that the writer hears that and that Neil Marshall hears that. And it's like, well, why? Why is it that when women are saving and protecting themselves, like that they actually just fully abandon all the rules, right? They were like rule number two, don't leave each other. Yeah. And then they all left each other. There was no like, you know, Juno couldn't be in leadership anymore for everyone, which I thought made sense for her character because she was obviously like going through her own shit. She's like, I can do this cave trip with Sarah. Oh my God. No, I can't. I am a horrible person, but I just need to like make up for it. Mm -hmm. But everyone else, it was just, uh, it was just weird. It was like all the character strengths were abandoned. Right. As soon yeah. as the cave dwellers, which I think obviously would happen. No one's going to do it perfectly. But yeah, I guess when I think about it now, that was obviously when the movie shifted, but the characters greatly shifted and the writer like abandoned. Yeah. Right. And it like, do- it does imply that, yeah, like women at their like core or whatever, like when you're down mm-hmm. to that survival as core, that these are like, inherent behaviors where I (laughs) which sucks and it's like I don't know I feel like yeah more often when you have like a majority male cast it's like the hero jumps out when you're like brought Mm -hmm. to your you know revenant survivalist I haven't seen that movie but like whatever you (laughs) you get inside a bear and and you live man because that's what you do That is that what happens? I don't know, uh, but more or less, yeah, to, yeah. like imply just, and it does seem like I, I, I don't know. I would be surprised if Neil Marshall was like explicitly thinking, like you were saying, Darby, like, well, women are like this, so I'm gonna write that. But yeah. it, but it is just like another weird example of someone kind of telling on themselves, right? Possibly mm-hmm. unintentionally. Men, men be telling on themselves, man. All they can't the time, stop. they can't stop. Get me a hat that says "Men be telling on themselves." Ooh, that is, it's the merch. merch show. <laughs> the next big thing I wanted to touch on, uh, and I foreshadowed this a little earlier. Yes, I have a huge section on this as well. Is the demonization of disability in horror movies? Mm. Um, we've talked to some extent in past episodes about how mental illness is demonized in horror movies a lot. We've talked about how aging tends to be demonized, especially um, as women age. Uh, It's often included as like, right. And the, and the Vivitch, um, an old woman will be a part of the horror imagery. Mm -hmm. What we haven't talked about really yet is how disability is also demonized in horror movies. Yes. Um, 
where because in in this movie the cave dwellers are blind Mm -hmm. this is a pretty i I mean you see it in a few other horror movies the quiet place comes to mind Mm. and you know any any number of disabilities will be used and ascribed to the killer or the monster Mm -hmm. or whatever it is that is causing terror for the protagonist which just goes back to the i mean Part of why so many horror movies seem so horrifically dated when you watch them back later is because the villain is very often just what is the example of the other that the writer and the filmmaker is threatened by, which is I I Mm -hmm. think there's a lot of racially motivated villains that we've seen in horror movies Uh over the years, because Mm -hmm. that is what the white writers thinks is going to be scary to people. That's where vagina mouth comes from. That's Uh like there's there. And and yeah, I think um, mental illness and, and disability in general kind of goes into that general like, you know, it's the writer assuming like, well, people aren't comfortable with this and I have no interest in normalizing it so let me basically weaponize people's own prejudices and affirm them through creating mm. this monster mm-hmm. yeah I have a, a a few quotes from a piece I found on medium by Laura Elliott it's entitled what's so scary about disability Laura discusses how there are recurring tropes in horror movies that basically say disability equals evil and disfigurement equals morally bankrupt Mm. and how a lot of these tropes in horror films are are rooted in and date back to a lot of old literature religious texts folk tales fairy tales things like that Mm. Uh, she says quote perhaps you might think that these stereotypes are no big deal But the fact is that the horror genre is the only genre in which disabled people are regularly represented at all. In 2015, a report by the Media Diversity and Social Change Initiative found that of the top 100 movies that year, only 2.4% of disabled characters spoke or had names, despite the fact that one in five people around the world are disabled, Mm. unquote. So... There's so little visibility and representation of people with disabilities in movies, and it's so rare that you see any kind of respectful or responsible representation because disability is so often, again, ascribed to the villains in horror movies, and that's Mm. really the only visibility you get. Mm. And then another quote from this same article says uh, quote it's worth remembering that while horror entertainment frequently depicts disabled people negatively there's essentially no other popular media to counteract these depictions while there are countless disabled and disfigured people portrayed as killers and villains we rarely ever get to be the heroes and frequent negative representation breeds ongoing stigma and prejudice end quote so yeah yeah i mean historically in film this has just been unequivocally true in film i mean this movie came out 15 years ago movies like a quiet place came out two years ago 
I've been lightly encouraged in recent years of there being more representation of disabled people that are played by disabled actors as well. And it isn't just, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think there's, it's basically a trope of, of a very famous actor playing a disabled character in order to get an Oscar nomination. Like that's a pretty common trope, but um, I will say in a quiet place. And I literally, I literally just watched it for the first time last week, but um, the daughter in that movie is a deaf preteen mm-hmm. played by a deaf actress Millicent Simmons and that character I mean is like one of the central characters her disability isn't played for evil or jokes and it ends up actually kind of being something that she is able to you know work to her and her family's advantage in the story so I, I yeah. am gen- other <laughs> and this is an example that is in let me be clear not a very good movie, but a, one that I have seen before. Uh, did anyone watch Unfriended Dark Web? Yes, oh my God. I saw it in no. theaters. I did not <laughs> ever see it. So I've I, seen them both. I it really enjoy the Unfriended franchise. It is so silly. But um, in the second Unfriended, and it is the worst Unfriended <laughs> twist, everyone's a hacker. <laughs> <laughs> but but there is a lead character that is deaf. She is a romantic interest. She has a whole arc. The part is played by a deaf actress and her disability isn't leveraged against her. She is a character Mm -hmm. that exists in this story. And yeah, I mean, we don't need to get into it too much. Like she and her boyfriend are kind of like there's communication issues, but I I thought it was dealt with pretty respectfully. And and Mm -hmm. so even in bad movies, you know, like there, but, but I don't, you know, I don't think the descent really qualifies as a, a movie that is handling this well at all. And it, no. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, well, overall, I, I'd be interested to hear from our listeners with disabilities on mm. how, because I think this movie isn't the absolute worst offender of demonizing disability in the horror genre. And yeah, I just, I'd be interested to hear our listeners perspectives on that just kind of in this movie and then as a whole um friend of the cast Kristen Lopez has done some really great writing on this as well and we'll we'll link some of her articles she's the best there's Uh, definitely not a lot of solid allyship from the other woman with her in this and I think that's like I mean a big part of what we're seeing in like the BLM movement is like how important allyship is because Mm -hmm. like disabled people in this specific conversation can can continue to like advocate and fight for the rights but at the end of the day it's like how is everyone going to show up how are they going to like help make space how are they going to help learn and so on and I think that yeah this movie I think it's like a D and not an F in uh, (laughs) effort for allyship and I think Beth is the only reason why the grade went up in any sort um, even if she does get, you know, chatty Kathy at the end and wants to get <laughs> gossipy. Um, I wanted to bring up this book that um, actually Alex Jacobs got me once. House of Psychotic Woman, an autobiographical topography of female neurosis and horror and exploitation films. Ooh, mm. And it's a really dense and a really interesting formatted book. 
but I really like it because I've also thought more, not so much on like the physical disability side of it, but more of like the like mental disorder side of things. Mm -hmm. Just like as I explored my own anxiety and depression and mood swings through my twenties and Mm -hmm. seeing in movies, I'm like, my friends did that to me. I would be so mad. Why are they treated? And then the carrot, you know, the protagonist still stands with them at the end. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, bitch, you should have my back when I'm having a panic attack. Don't demonize me and like isolate me in this. Um, But the book like dives into, yeah, different films, um, mostly horror films. And, you know, like Rosemary's Baby is a great fucking example Uh of a time where we totally isolate someone who's like experiencing all these like, you know, legitimate things within her female body. But then also, you know, as being possessed at the same time with the demon baby. (laughs) Right. Um, But I think, you know, I think movies like that and like Ginger Snaps is a great example, too, of like talking about like teenage girls coming into their own and everyone's like, oh, you're just having your period. I mean, they become a werewolf, but also, (laughs) you know, having that. And so I think that I like when movies do that. Like you were saying, Jamie, with A Quiet Place, how that ends up working to the families benefit um Mm -hmm. where it actually like works with the story but you know like midsummer you know i know that guy tries to fucking talk about mental health stuff but like god he sucks at it so bad he at and i (laughs) oh god it's just it's for me it's like it's a lot of like what i've experienced you know i think what i I paid a lot of attention to good intention shitty impact a lot lately Mm. and that guy is the epitome of yeah good intention he wants to bring awareness to this but then like horrible fucking impact yeah Mm -hmm. so i think that when people want to write about disabilities i'm glad you brought that up i think people need to think about like a do you are you really the person to speak about this like is this your place are you really gonna you know not further villainize this and further isolate this from the conversation of inclusivity and allyship and like be yeah are you just gonna like bring you know the awareness to it that it needs rather than just using it as like a tool because it's exhausting watching it as a tool <laughs> i hate being seeing people like who are like me or people who have you know physical disabilities and they're just being villainized for that so yeah i don't think we see in nearly enough of even just intersectionality in general like mm-hmm. we'll see you know white people and a disability we'll see you know black people and poverty and then we'll like start to see more and more layers but i feel like the more layered intersectional films come more with like the indie films that get the lower budgets and like the lower marketing and distribution ceilings Mm -hmm. so i'm like i would be so curious to see these films you know as we like you know layer up these identities and these oppressions and privileges Mm -hmm. but like with the bigger budgets and i think people you know, can explore that a lot more with the bigger budgets that they get. Absolutely. And yeah. this guy kind of had an opportunity and, and he, uh, he caved in. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and, and that also will come with allowing black indigenous people of color to make their own movies, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. with disabilities to make movies about themselves, uh, queer people to make movies about themselves. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh my God, please. And <laughs> since we're talking about horror this month, I mean, it's it's a genre that is so open to different characters. And, and, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of, I mean, it's frustrating to look back and, and this is 15 years ago. But it's frustrating to see a genre that's uniquely qualified use its power for bad, basically, of, mm-hmm. uh, by, by demonizing people instead of, 
you know, representing them and lifting them up and, and yeah. 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 You get a lot of freedom with horror movies. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the marketing for it, I, I feel like a lot of people make horror movies unless it's going to be like a quiet place or something like generally they're like, we know we're going to like stay within this pool of money and demographic and audience and yada, yada. Yeah. I love horror movies because you get to explore these types of topics I think for me, Midsummer and Hereditary, which I so, uh, you know, words, Um, I'm just like, they were so disappointing at the end of the day because I'm like, you had such a fucking opportunity. You had such an opportunity and you blew it. And people won't stop congratulating you regardless. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, yeah, Toni Collette was fantastic, but Toni Collette's always fantastic. She's an angel. Like, what do you expect? (laughs) I don't expect anything less from her. Yeah, I hate Ari Aster uh, and I don't like his movies. Uh, and uh, But people just can't stop requesting them for us to do. They, they will be fun to cover when the day comes, but like, I, but yeah. I'm not in a rush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do. It, I, I'm maybe I'm inventing this. I'm pretty sure that this is something that he said where he's like, I'm not going to direct a movie for a while. I'm just going to fund other people's projects. And it's like, yes, do that. Okay. Um, yeah. And don't, and you, I better not see you funding the project of Hat White Guys. Thank you. <laughs> oh my god. Also, okay, the irony of most horror movies being made by and being about cishet white people and marginalized people being the people who actually experience most of the horrors in their lives <laughs> and <laughs> and like horror movies are usually allegorical right mm-hmm. the monster is never really a monster the monster is an allegory for something but i feel like even so like there aren't that many allegorical films a- about like racism or queer phobia or mm-hmm. classism mm-hmm. or anything or like that at least not ones that are are in the main zeitgeist in the whatever that what is considered to right. be the horror canon because i'm sure I'm, mm-hmm. i mean we know that these movies exist and that we're they're out there it's just they're not brought to the forefront that the, the way that they should be yeah i'm in a, a weekly quarantine movie club with some with a friend and then he has a bunch of other friends and so we meet every sunday at five on zoom mm-hmm. we watch a movie every week and i really enjoyed it because it's like the first you know caitlin i met you in a very white world and uh, <laughs> yes. and I felt like talking movies as much as I love those sweet gems it was always like I felt like I was always coming with this yeah kind of intersectional angle that you know if you or Catherine weren't there for the night then I was like dude I'm like out here like drowning just trying to talk about I'm just trying to talk about the movie right it's like I think all women can relate to like people want to ask us like how is it being a female comic how is it being uh-huh. a female writer and it's like I just want to talk about being a writer. I just want to talk about being a filmmaker. And so I feel like when I talk about movies, there's so much more of the layer of like having to talk through like the issues of it or like the lack of intersectionality in it. Um, But in this group, we're talking about movies, yada, yada. And we, I feel bad because I actually missed it. So I haven't watched it yet, but we watched Tales from the Hood, which I have yet to see. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Yeah. And we're trying to watch, like, sometimes we dive deep into like, yeah, the cis white hat, like movies, whatever. But then we're also trying to, you know, we watched like the Watermelon Woman, which was like the first out black lesbian made film. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we're like trying to explore more movies like that. And I, you know, it goes back to like, 
how I see it as though, you know, like Jamie were just saying, you know, it's like, yeah, how many movies don't really get out there? And it's like, well, it's like anyone who's marginalized, like we might not get the meeting, but if we get the meeting, how much do we get to pitch in the meeting once we're in the room? Once we like get the movie greenlit, like how soon do we get to do the movie? Once we get the movie, like, you know, we're kicking into production is it going to happen on our timeline? Are we going to get the budget we want? Are we going to get to hire the people we want? How much to produce? Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. The ceiling is always there. And I think that, you know, A Quiet Place, my biggest issue with it is like, why? Why this movie? Now, I love John Krasinski, fine, <laughs> Emily Blunt, whatever. But like, <laughs> why did we need this movie? And I think Get Out, to me, I thought Get Out and Us were going to be these like, perfect like gateway to like black films and then i've heard from friends who you know are like pitching movies out they're like oh we already have get out <sighs> you know they're like they're like oh. we already have like the black horrors they think they filled and the i'm quota? like are you serious like what are all of the movies that we call classics godfather is goodfellas casino like it's all the same shit over <laughs> and over and yeah. we're still letting scorsese you know so I'm like, why, oh, why do we man. get the ceiling? Mm-hmm. Why do black filmmakers get the ceiling? You know, <sighs> I could go deep. That could be a whole other episode <laughs> on its own. But I think that that is something to be said. We think that there's not as many out there. It's like, you know, people are like, there's no female filmmakers. And we're like, <coughs> excuse you. Hi, hello. hello. <laughs> no, that's I. Uh, that's like the most frustrating fucking thing in the world to hear that just it's like, unfortunately, so unsurprising of how it's just assumed that people want to see the same cishet male white stories told over and over and over. And that's why they're made over and over and over and why the bar is so mm-hmm. low. This is, um, I was, Caitlin, I feel like maybe I was talking about this with you not too long ago, but there is a moment that Emily Yoshida, friend of the cast, mm-hmm. pulled out of other friend of the cast, Karina Longworth's. Um, oh, we have so many friends. We have, I mean, listen, our, our show has been on for 500 years. Um, yeah. But it's a while. It's true. Uh, for, for as long as the cave people have been developing their wall climbing abilities. <laughs> In any case, um, Emily pointed out this part of Karina's most recent podcast season on You Must Remember This, where she mentions that Wes Anderson, when he was developing Bottle Rocket, his first movie, the way he got that movie produced was that he wrote a nonsensical 60-page treatment, treatment, didn't even format it like a script, didn't know how to format it like a script. And then (laughs) instead of someone saying, "Uh, this is not a script, go learn how to do this, they said, we love it. You seem to have a lot of potential. We're going to buy it. We're going to teach you how to write a script. And then Ugh. they like taught him on the ground because that is, I mean, privilege firing on so many levels of like, yeah, I don't know. And and just how <sighs> infuriating that example is. And to so many filmmakers that have no, I mean, truly no choice, but to come knowing their shit and are still turned away mm-hmm. when Wes Anderson is like, what is, what is a script? How do I do that? What is a movie? And they're like, you're hired. <laughs> like, it's just such bullshit. Well, the, I mean, going back to kind of the, the horror conversation, like so many horror movies 
are about like zombies and vampires and werewolves and any number of other creatures that are not real because like the cishet white men who are making these movies have to invent things to scare them <laughs> whereas again marginalized people live every day in fear because they're so often the victims of discrimination and oppression and violence Damn. or worse they're they're taking marginalized oppressed people and turning them into monsters into the villains mm-hmm. yeah so like mm-hmm. oh. I, I, <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah does anyone have any other thoughts about the descent specifically or <laughs> oh, just yeah we haven't been talking about the horror descent in- yeah <laughs> Um, I think it needed some more black people. Yeah. Yeah. And by some more, yeah, any, <laughs> I think they could have used some more black people. That's my real, my final thought yeah. on hard agree the descent. Agree. Cause, uh, because you know, there are some great, there are some great black actors, you know, one or two out there that, you know, might've been around at the In time. In 2005 though? Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, they didn't come around till 2020 apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think that was like something that was sitting with me, but also honestly, I'm fucking used to it. Mm-hmm. I'm so used to like some of, some of my favorite movies are not black led and created films, but then also it's like, you know, the ways in which I allow that to just be okay. And I've tried to boycott like watching white movies. <laughs> it's fucking hard, dude. It's, it's hard. like, it's super hard because our ceiling is just so so low and even if there was a black actor on that they probably would be coming out with a story now about how you know other they felt and there was it was an entire white male cast you know and this and that which i'm really curious how many women were involved and that were not in the hair makeup or producing department because that's typically where we are on set or often where we're hired the most and people want us you're organized so you're so together Mm -hmm. like let me be dirty and be a grip come on now yeah you know Mm -hmm. but i want to be a best boy yeah yeah i didn't see (laughs) any i didn't see any women in at least high up behind the scenes roles in this movie yeah yeah I definitely want to watch it with the commentary because when I was reading all the trivia, it was like five minutes into the commentary and then they would say certain things. So I'm really curious about I want to hear their tone because I feel like you can always like I can start to, you know, Sherlock Holmes my way through tones and commentary (laughs) or like, wow, they really hated the process like Naomi Watts talking about um Mulholland Drive oh yeah and her audition is just so sleazy and disgusting like David Lynch like told her she came in and then she had no makeup on because she wanted to seem natural I think she was new to LA very Mm -hmm. similar to the character she ends up portraying yeah and he said come back with makeup (gasps) and so she's like and when she talks about it she sounds sort of brainwashed like so, you know, I left and I put on makeup and I came back and he was like, oh, this is better now, that you know? And so I was like, bleak. Yeah. And I was like, man, but it's those things that we allowed to not be, you know, the canceling factor or something that we think is not worthy of bringing up about someone. Sure. And so we, I mean, we'd all just have to unlearn the yeah. like really harmful things yeah. that we learned living in this like patriarchal structure right yeah it's like i'm so curious if if the descent had a bigger turnout 
and was more like I think it's like a like I think it's got a good following, but I think if it had a more mainstream following that it seemed like they were kind of hoping for. I'm curious if some of those actresses would be coming out now and saying like, you know, we could have done more. We should have made mm-hmm. it more diverse because that's what I'm watching a lot of like high supposedly high up like white women do. They're like, I should have done more. I'm like, yeah, bitch, you should have done yeah. more. Why were you just sitting there? Oh, because your privilege wasn't being tested. Where were you 15 years ago? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think it's like, you know, I think low key this movie did speak to like the white supremacy that like definitely boils within that and i'm like you know obviously this was a good movie to take a chance with an all-female cast yeah could have thrown a sister in there or something so absolutely i don't know i mean and it was a commercial success it had like a 3.5 british pound yeah (laughs) budget uh, and made yeah i don't know but um but and then in in u.s dollars it made somewhere around i think 55 to 60 million mm. at the box office so it, it yeah it, it, it was a box office success and w- honestly this is one of our most requested oh, horror wow. films to cover on the podcast yeah we've been getting this request for a long so, time you're welcome film. everybody Hope you're happy <laughs> it's a solid film man for what it was when it was yes you know mm-hmm. i think if they made that movie now like even the movies i see coming out now i'm like are you fucking serious? What year is this? Uh-huh. <laughs> Why is this movie happening right now? Yeah. But I think for 2005, for them to do a bunch of women diving into caves with the budget that it was, like, I think was, like, there's not many other films like that. Like, I think, you know, like, 28 Days Later, oh, my God, Naomi Harris. I don't know. There's so many Naomi mm. actresses. I get them all mixed yeah, up. Naomi yeah, Naomi um, Yeah. Naomi Harris, like I think she to me when I saw Twenty Days Later, I was like, "Skirt, excuse me, this <laughs> black woman with this like kind of short pixie, flat ironed haircut is just like kicking ass and saving this like sad little white boy." Mm-hmm. Okay, I am here for this. Yeah, but I feel like we only get those every so often, and then we got you know not get out. Uh, I didn't like us. I thought us was horseshit to be honest. But I love Lupita. That Lupita mm. like blew me the fuck away. Mm. So. It sucks as a black mixed person. Like every so often I get someone that I'm like, yeah. But then most of the time you're like, no, no, there's not really anyone. Oh, she has anxiety. I have anxiety. Well, mm. I guess there's that, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, well, well, does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Oh, it sure mm. does. Almost constantly. Almost yeah. exclusively. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, 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 I didn't like check this to the to the hilt, let's say, but I feel like even when they are maybe the subtext is about her husband, they don't really say his name and they don't yeah. really mention him. It's all kind of like subtext and it's more gr- they're talking about grief than they're talking about him. Mm. Uh, except for like that one line where I'm like, Juno, what are you doing? Where when she says she's not the only one who lost someone in that accident i'm like uh you why are you telling on yourself like this you're like what (laughs) um but outside of that yeah they they, men aren't really mentioned at all yeah yeah it's it's true actually now that i think about like every time a man was mentioned you're like oh a man oh i forgot about them for a second you know like yeah because sarah asks a couple of them like so do you have a man back home 
And then, yeah, we do talk more about the grief of the husband and the daughter rather than him. Mm-hmm. That's fine by me. Yeah. This is a nice little break. I, yeah, there were way too many questions. Like, they almost, like, went around the circle. Do you have a boyfriend or husband? Yeah, that Do was you? ridiculous. Um, yeah, Which was, like, too yeah. much. But at least they also talked about, like, yeah, I like spelunking. I am in medical school. Mm-hmm. Here are some of my interests. But yeah. it did sort of feel like, okay, what do women talk about when they're not being killed by yeah. <laughs> or and yeah. also when they are being killed by yeah. cave dwellers? All the men in the movie are killed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and that's fine. The the, <laughs> the sequel uh, also uh kills a lot cuz there are it is a a cast of men and women and mm. um all the men are also killed. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm curious to see that one. Now I got, damn it. I don't want to watch it. Now I got to watch it. It sounds pretty good. It's, it's not. (laughs) It, well, it's, it's, uh, the first one is a better crafted and like better structured movie. And I think a more effective horror movie. Uh, the second one, I think course corrects some of the issues with, and has another, uh, woman of color Mm. as one of the lead characters who, um, and I won't spoil this, but mm-hmm. you know, you're not unhappy about what happens really with her. So okay, okay, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a little better. Um, is, she, is her storyline like she walks up to the cave and is like, "Oh hell no, I'm not <laughs> going in there. I'm out. You're crazy." I wish, uh, <laughs> but she's no. like, "I'm going to break the stereotype. No black person's dying in this. Is she black? Mm-hmm. What kind of uh, Latinx? Okay, okay, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah." Um, I'm going to watch it. Damn it. Yeah. The movie looks like horse shit, but I guess I'll watch it. (laughs) So as far as our nipple scale, um, (laughs) examining the movie from an intersectional feminist lens, Mm -hmm. zero to five nipples. um, Again, there's a lot to appreciate about this movie. And there's there's a lot to be upset by about Mm. this movie. Yeah. it almost feels very equal. It, I'm almost inclined to give it like a 2.5, like a split down the middle, huh. because you see very capable, physically strong, outdoorsy, athletic women who, who you almost never see. Mm-hmm. Um, they aren't sexualized. It's just a group of friends doing extreme sports. Yeah. Until the cannibals Until come. The, the cave dwellers come. And then you have, uh, I mean, the only woman of color gets uh, vilified. The pettiness, mm. uh, the petty behavior of mm. some of the women at the end, it all sort of cancels out. So, yeah, I guess I would give it like a 2.5. It is very much a, a movie of its time. And this is a rating of... Of the film through an intersectional lens, not as a film, as a... Well, I want to say as a cinematic piece, but I think we should start evaluating films through an intersectional yeah, so lens. Our, our le- yeah, our rating is based on, like, the the lens. The only reason I'm, I'm torn in this is because I feel like I typically rate films through this lens, uh-huh. but now there's other people doing it, and I'm like, am I in the real world right now? You guys do this too. This is way better. Okay. Because uh, people will be like, oh no I just thought it was a good movie I'm like oh were you not uncomfortable by it like I was oh that's so nice for you and your cute little privilege go over there what a treat. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah I think I would give it I think I would give it three nipples mm-hmm. out of five yeah I'll split the diff I'll do 2.75 wow I, wow Jamie I very I love to get in the decimal zone here um 
no yeah I, I think that like given the fact that it was 15 years ago and it, it is there is a lot that this movie is doing in this genre that no one was doing in this genre unfortunately as as infuriating as I find it I do feel like there is I don't know how to properly phrase this but like there is kind of a like a, a tendency maybe in movies of like once a male director proves oh there can be a you know a horror movie starring all women then mm-hmm. it unfortunately kind of does get the ball rolling to mm. maybe let a woman direct a horror movie about women but mm-hmm. and yeah. I guess I, I feel like there, there's a lot of moving in the right direction in some ways and then in other ways I think complete like stagnation but there is a lot happening here that isn't happening really anywhere else in this space at that time so I'll give it its due there and it's really cool to see Sarah come out of the the period pond and get all <laughs> pissed off I don't care what anyone says it is it is a men being afraid of vaginas thing again, which is also very mm-hmm. cisnormative. Get a life. Like, right. anyways. Um, yeah, two point, sure, 2.75. I'll give one to Sarah. I'm going to give one to, I, I guess I'll give one to Juno because I, I don't know why I was like, you know, Juno made mistakes, but who among us hasn't? Who hasn't, who among us hasn't led their friends to certain death <laughs> on purpose? <laughs> uh, and then I'll give the last three quarters to Beth because I did think if it was funny that she was gossiping when she's dying, you know? <laughs> oh, golly. Well, uh, Darby, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. What a treat that we all, just the fact that we all descended into this conversation yes. together. That was good. And now um, we're crawling our, we're crawling over the bones <laughs> of people to get out. Yes. <laughs> Um, where can people check out your stuff, follow yeah. you online, etc.? Yeah, so um, I'm pretty active on Instagram mm-hmm. at Darbleezy, D is in Delta, A is in Alpha, R, B is in Boy, L, E, E, Z, Y. Um, been doing a lot of customer service calls lately. I have to spell my name out in letters like that. <laughs> um, what else do you do in quarantine but fix problems you don't really have? Um, and yeah, I'm a filmmaker, artist, consultant. I consult folks in film. I used to run a collective called Color Film where we provided resources and tools and education for the community of marginalized filmmakers. And Mm -hmm. now I'm doing it on my own. So if you need a consultation to get through a work situation, um, I do monthly live streams and I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Darby Rose. D-A-R-B as in boy, Y, Rose. Um, And yeah, I do monthly live streams. I talk about intersectionality at work, how to be productive during this time that we're in and um, all the other things. And I do want to recommend a couple movies. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Anything by Karin Kusama. Yes. Jennifer's Body, The Invitation, other horror, thriller films. Yeah. Ginger Snaps, um, although co-written by a woman, fully directed by a man. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. More lady bits and uh, comparisons, all that in horror. Um, Our friend Alex recommends that we cover that movie yes. on this podcast almost on a daily basis. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> so <surprised. laughs> Uh It's a fantastic film, and I feel like I'm forgetting others, but there's a lot of incredible films out there mm-hmm. by marginalized filmmakers. So support the work, support anything that we and they need, because 
white America don't care. So, <laughs> yes. Yes. And and uh, listeners, hire Darby for her <laughs> consultation work and subscribe to her Patreon and... Give me uh, money. We in a capitalist society still and, <laughs> and COVID took my work away. <laughs> yes. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. I oh, feel like I've been waiting oh. to have this conversation and I'm a big fan of what you guys have been doing with Bechdel Cast. So oh my gosh, thank I'm you so, so happy much. to see Thanks. it like still where it is and where it's going. It's oh, so cool. Onward and upward, baby. Yes, I love it. Yeah, thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah. Hey everyone, it's uh, future Jamie and future Caitlin. <laughs> it is us. We wanted to address something that we talked about during the episode and that we got feedback on from a few different listeners uh, regarding our discussion that we had about the representation of uh, disability in horror movies. And yeah, we we basically got the feedback that while that's an important discussion to have, this was not the appropriate movie to do it for. And so we just wanted to acknowledge that we've spoken with listeners and we just... We want to continue having this discussion, but this wasn't the movie to do it for. And um, so we apologize. And, you know, as always, our lines of communication are open to you. And, um, yeah, we will continue yeah. to have a, this discussion in movies that makes more sense for. So mm-hmm. our apologies for um, misfiring on when to have that discussion. Yeah, it it was pointed out that because many like species of animals who dwell in caves are blind. It wasn't as though this movie was necessarily demonizing blindness. For me, I was just like, oh, this would be maybe a good opportunity to kickstart that conversation. But as people pointed out, this wasn't the right movie for it. It just wasn't the right match. (laughs) Right, yes. But it's still a very important discussion. For sure. So, yes, thanks for those of you who gave feedback. Like Jamie said, we encourage that. You know, sometimes we're, you know, we're not always going to get things exactly right every time. So it's, it's helpful to receive feedback from people. And we're always wanting to learn and grow. So thank you for that. We love you. Love you. Future Jamie and future Caitlin out. Signing off. <laughs> And you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Bechtelcast. You can subscribe to our Patreon, a.k.a. Matreon, at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. You get two bonus episodes every month. It's only $5, and you get access to the entire back catalog. And if you're a horror Ooh. fan, we've covered a number of horror movies on that, including... Including Jennifer's Body. Including Jennifer's Body. Ooh. And Teeth. Yes. And oh Get God. Out and uh, 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 B- the Babadook. The Babadook. <gasps> Who can yes. forget oh, yeah. the Babadook? Who could forget? Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, among many, many others. Yes. And uh, you can get our merch, tpublic.com slash thebechtelcast. We have we ha- recently got masks to the store with all of mm-hmm. our classic merch stuff. So you can get those if you so choose. And uh, yeah, stay safe, help people, and we love you. And now we have an ascent out of the cave. Oh, wow. Brave. Bye-bye. Bye. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? 
Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.